welcome back. Last week, our story left off with Joseph starting to ration out the stockpiles of grain as the famine hit every country in the whole region. Now, when the old man Jacob learned that there was food in Egypt, he said to his boys, go down there and buy some so that we can survive and not starve to death. So all of Joseph's brothers, except the youngest one, Benjamin, went down to Egypt to get some food. Joseph personally oversaw the distribution of rations, and when the brothers arrived, they treated him with honour, bowing down to him. Joseph recognised them immediately, but treated them as strangers, remembering the dreams he had dreamed of them, like the week bowing down from a couple of weeks back. He said through an interpreter, "'You're spies, and you've come to look for our wheat spots.' "'No, master,' they said. "'We've only come to buy food.' There were 12 of us brothers, sons of the same father in the country of Canaan. The youngest one is still with our father, and the other one is no more. But Joseph said, No, I reckon you're spies. And if you're as honest as you say you are, Simeon will have to stay here in jail, while the rest of you take the food back to your hungry families. And you'll have to bring your youngest brother back to me, confirming the truth of your speech. And if you do this, I won't kill anyone. Bit harsh, but they agreed. Then Joseph ordered their sacks be filled with grain and their money be put back in each sack and that they be given rations for the road. When they got back to their father, Jacob, and told him what the deal was, he said to them, you're taking everything I've got. Joseph's gone, Simeon's gone, and now you want to take Benjamin. If you have your way, I'll be left with nothing. And he refused to allow them to go back. But the famine got worse. So Judah pushed his father, let the boy go. I'll take charge of him. If we don't go, we're all going to starve to death. And if I don't bring him back safe and sound, I'll take the blame. Eventually, their father gave in. So the men took gifts, double the money and Benjamin. And Joseph welcomed them back in and said, And your old father whom you mentioned to me, how is he? Is he still alive? Well, yes, our father is quite well, very much alive, they said. And again, they bowed respectfully before him. Joseph points to his brother, Benjamin, his mother's son, not a stepbrother, and asks, Is this your youngest brother that you told me about? Deeply moved on seeing his brother and about to burst into tears, Joseph hurried out of the room and had a good cry. Then he washed his face, got a bit of a grip on himself and said, let's eat. And so the brothers feasted with Joseph, drinking freely. It's probably code for having a big party. Fast forward a little and Joseph couldn't hold himself in any longer. It was said that his sobbing was so violently that the Egyptians couldn't help but hear him, and so the news was soon reported to Pharaoh's palace. Joseph eventually speaks to his brothers and reveals who he is. I'm Joseph, and is my father really still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They couldn't believe what they were hearing and seeing. Come closer to me, Joseph said to his brothers. 
I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But don't feel bad. Don't blame yourselves for selling me. God was behind it. God sent me here ahead of you to save lives. There's been a famine in the land now for two years and the famine will continue for five more. And God sent me on ahead to pave the way and make sure there was a remnant in the land to save your lives in an amazing act of deliverance. So you see, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. He set me in place as a father to Pharaoh, put me in charge of his personal affairs and made me ruler over Egypt. Now hurry back to my father, tell him I'm alive and what I'm up to now and come back with all your kids, all your grandkids, your flocks, everything and I'll set you up with a place to live through the five more years of famine. I'll look after everything. Hurry up and bring my father back here. Then Joseph threw himself on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. He then kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Only then were his brothers able to talk with him. And once Pharaoh heard the news, he increased Joseph's offer and said, Yes, bring the whole family here, but don't even bother about bringing anything with you, for the best in Egypt is yours. So that's what the brothers did. New sets of clothes, food, cash, donkeys, wagons, the whole shebang, just to bring Jacob back to his son Joseph and start a new life in a new land. When they got back and told this story to the old man, he went numb. He couldn't believe his ears. But gradually, as they retold the story again, the news sunk in. And their father Jacob's spirit revived. So Jacob says, Okay, okay, I've heard enough. My son Joseph is still alive. I've got to go and see him before I die. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing okay. I have two challenges today to speak to you about from the story of Joseph. But before I start, I wonder whether you're really expecting to hear from God this morning. Sometimes it's easy when we're sitting at home to kick back. And I know for me, I just have my pyjamas on most of the time. You'll be pleased that actually I'm fully dressed today. But are you expecting to hear from God this morning? Because I feel like there are things in this talk that might just stir you. So be open and be ready. What I want to talk to you about today is the idea of forgiveness and foresight. I want to talk to you about how God is a way maker, not just in the story of Joseph, but for you as well. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a situation that's different to what you may have possibly imagined. Something that's happened to you where you think, God, what are you doing? Well, maybe if you don't believe in God, you might be thinking, why would I believe in God when these things happen? Or maybe you've found yourself in a situation where you're feeling bitter or resentful about the treatment that somebody has given to you and you feel like you can't forgive and you say, God, what are you doing and why is this happening to me? Sometimes things like that are hard to deal with and we all have pain. Sometimes when we speak to friends or we might look on the TV, we might find that ways to deal with these kinds of situations, people say to us, just get over it or walk away from that relationship or walk away from God. 
Some people might even say, why don't you pay them back? There's even TV shows called Revenge and Retribution. But that's not God's way. And today in the story of Joseph, I want to pick up on the idea of forgiveness, that human relationships, the way that we get along with each other, actually matters to God. And the fact that God has foresight, he has a plan, and he is just intimately involved with humanity right from the word go and right to the end. So let me set the scene for you. This is a picture of Egypt, and we have the word Canaan on the top there and 8,500 kilometres. So the story first takes place in Canaan with Joseph when he was thrown into the pit. Then we see the story move to Egypt where he meets um, Potiphar and he gets thrown into prison. But now the two stories actually combine, and I want to pick up from this verse here if you have your Bibles. Genesis 45 verse 4. It says, Joseph says, please come closer, he said to his brothers. So they came closer and he said again, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. I wonder whether Joseph might have been dressed up as Egyptian and he might have had that, that eyeliner underneath and one of those, um, you know, those, those haircuts that they have that you see in the old um, history books. And maybe that's why his brothers didn't recognise him. But one thing sticks out to me, and that is in this verse, Joseph actually doesn't seem angry. He invites them in. And if there's anybody who was going to have a bitter list, you would think it would have been Joseph. He's been thrown in a pit, he's been thrown in prison, he's been unjustly treated, he's been betrayed, but he's not angry. Now, I've had a few weeks to think about this, and I wonder whether he's not angry because Joseph walks with God. See, he's had a lot of time to think about this. He seems to understand the bigger picture. He said, God sent me here. So what does Joseph do? Well, interestingly, he toys around with them a little bit. He sends them back to Canaan and there's this whole story about silver in, in saddlebags and it seems like he's having a little bit of fun with them. Maybe he's trying to teach them empathy. But in the end, his emotions catch up with him. Have a look at this verse here, Genesis 45, verse 15. He says, Don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. And this one, Joseph kissed each of his brothers, remembering there were 10 of them there, so it might have taken a long time, and he wept over them. He does a lot of weeping in his story, and after that they begin talking freely with him. You see, I think Joseph knew that in order to move forward, he needed to forgive. And I want to ask you this question today. What are you like with forgiving? See, sometimes when things have been done to us, we don't feel like forgiving. I'd like to read you a story this morning, or it's a paraphrase really, of a lady called Corrie ten Boom. And I like to think I might be related to her because I'm Dutch, so maybe you never know, somewhere in our histories we might be related but she was alive during World War II and her and her family were actually hiding Jews um, in their house in Holland and they got discovered and they all got sent to a concentration camp and um, in that camp most of her family died and Corrie was set free at the end of the war and she began to move around churches preaching 
um, the good news of Jesus and the good news of forgiveness. And I want to read to you in her own words what she said after she had preached a sermon on forgiveness and one of the Nazi prison guards who was in the concentration camp actually came up to her and put his hand out and asked for forgiveness. In her words, he put his hand out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven, but I could not forgive. Betsy, my sister, had died in that place. Could he erase her slow or terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But it seemed to me hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing that I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew I did. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. And still, I stood there with the coldness clutching at my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust out my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried. I do with all my heart. And for a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I'd never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even then, I realized it was not my love. I had tried, but I didn't have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. I wonder, could you forgive like she forgave? You might say to me, Cindy, I just can't. You have no idea what I've been through. But what I love about what Corrie ten Boom says is that it was the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph managed to forgive his brothers. You see, people matter to God and he wants to make a way through the area of forgiveness. You might ask me, Cindy, why should I forgive? Well, I think from my perspective, it's because I know that Jesus forgave me that makes me want to forgive other people. You see, when you really understand and you really get that into your heart and into your head, it releases you to want to forgive the people who have wronged you, those who have wronged you in small ways or those who have wronged you in big ways. You see, the cross is the crux of, of Christianity. It's the crucial pivoting point. When Jesus came and died on the cross, it was for love. It was to set us free from this disease called sin. I suppose you could say it's a little bit like COVID, except for the fact that everybody gets it. 
Jesus came to set us free from the disease of sin and of death. And when you get that kind of love into your heart, it makes you want to bow down and it makes you want to worship him because he set us free from the powers of sin and death. And I look at the story of Joseph and I realize that all of his brothers end up bowing down to him, just like his dreams when he was young. And in the same way, it makes me want to bow down before Jesus because he has authority over all the land, over sin, over death itself. When I was young, I used to sing this song and I remember the chorus of it and I'm going to sing it to you. But it goes like this. Freely, freely you have received. Freely, freely give. Now, some of you who were born in the 70s or earlier might know that song. But it's talking about the freedom that we have because we receive freedom from Jesus when he forgives us that we can give it freely to others. People matter to God. And the way we get along with people matters to God. There's another reason. It's like a flow-on effect of why forgiveness is a really good idea. And we see it in Joseph. It's the healing power. It helps us to move ahead. This week in the weekly update, if you've read it, you may have seen this, um, this quote that I'm going to read to you. Someone once said that unforgiveness is like the lock on a prison door. Whilst the victim may be justified, they end up becoming their own jailer by throwing away the key. That's why forgiveness is so powerful. It's because it's often the only thing that can set us free. I have these rocks in front of me today and maybe you've wondered why they're actually there. But I want you to imagine that these rocks signify unforgiveness in your heart. You see, you could line up all of the things that people have done that are wrong to you. You might have big rocks and boulders in your heart or you may just have small little ones. But the thing is that they get heavy over time. And if we don't forgive, we drag these things around with us and they stop us from moving forward. You see, forgiveness is really an act of the will before it is an emotion. Sometimes it can take us years to forgive, but healing comes. And we see that with Joseph. We see how he healed with his brothers and he wept over them. A while ago, I was involved in some prayer ministry and we would pray for people and often they would end up forgiving people during the session. And sometimes when they actually mouthed the words, Jesus, I forgive, and then they named the person and they named the hurt, you could actually physically see them being set free from the powers of sin and from the powers that were keeping them stuck this week I thought to myself, I better practice what I preach. I better get stuck into some forgiveness this week. So I actually went down into my art studio, which is a beautiful, lovely place, and I sat with God. And I wrote down on one side of my journal the people that I felt I needed to forgive. And I wrote down next to their names the particular hurts that I felt. And there were some small things, and there were some really big things. And I worked my way through the list. I said, Jesus, I forgive and then the name of the person, and then I said four, and then I mentioned the hurt. And after a few hours, I went back upstairs, made myself a cup of tea, and on two occasions, both of my children actually said to me, Mum, 
you look different today. And I knew exactly what they meant because I felt lighter and I felt like there had been a shift in my spirit. God had done something. In fact, one of my children even said to me, Mum, you're acting all weird today. I think that's the power of forgiveness. So I wonder for you, is it time for you to release some hurts today? To go through some growing pains and to grow into somebody who is a little lighter? I wonder, who is God asking you to forgive today? Perhaps he's bringing someone to mind right now. Some of you have been through some really hard and difficult circumstances. For some of you, it will be harder than others. Some of you have been through trauma. And I want to encourage you that if that is you, maybe you need to get some help. Maybe you need to get somebody to walk alongside you as you think about forgiveness. You might even want to ring um, either a friend or a care line, a lifeline. But can I encourage you to start the process? Because Jesus will make a way. He is a way maker. He made a way for Joseph. See, when Joseph forgave, he stepped into God's big plan. And this is the second thing I want to speak to you about today. God's big picture. Can I take you to Genesis 45, verse 7 and 8? It says, God had sent me ahead, so this is Joseph speaking, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. It was God who sent me here, not you. He is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. See, it's God that's doing the sending. He has a big picture plan that Joseph is somehow clued into, although I don't think he understands the whole story. See, it's a story of redemption. Who's being redeemed? Well, it's Jacob who eventually gets called Israel and that those 12 brothers become 12 tribes and they make up a whole nation. And that word survivor, in the Hebrew text, it actually means remnant. And the word remnant is mentioned 66 times in the Hebrew Bible. It's also mentioned at a time, at this historical event in 586 BC, if my memory serves me correctly, when Jerusalem was ransacked and all the Jewish people got taken to Babylon, into exile. And when they came back, it was a remnant that God was preserving. So he preserved a remnant in Joseph's time and he preserved a remnant again with Israel from the exile. And here's the jaw-dropping moment and I do not want you to miss this because this is really special. Jesus actually came from the line of Judah, from Joseph's family. So God had already preserved this remnant of Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel back in Joseph's story. Then he preserves another remnant at the exile in 586 BC so that Jesus can be born from that line to show God's faithfulness and his big saving plan. There's also another remnant mentioned in the New Testament in Romans 11, if you want to look it up later. And it talks about how we actually today get a chance to be part of that remnant. If you want to have a chance to be part of God's family and step into his kingdom of light, you can. And that's the saving plan. And that was God's big picture that Joseph was speaking about. You see, it's like wearing a pair of glasses. Now, these are my new, brand new reading glasses. I can't see you now because <laughs> they're reading glasses. But 
These are my brand new reading glasses that I bought the other day. And when I look down and I read, it's perfectly clear. But when I look up and I try and look far ahead, it's all blurry. And I think that's what it's like with God's big picture plan. Sometimes we don't get a clue in into what the long-term picture looks like. And I don't think that Joseph even knew of the big long-term picture plan. And here's my question for you. Do you think that God can't see you? Do you think that God is not working in your plan as well? See, what seems strange to us makes perfect sense to God. He says that his ways are higher than our ways. He's the creator. We are the created. Of course, we're not always going to understand what he's doing. I don't think Joseph knew what God was doing when he ended up in prison or in the pit. Sometimes we don't get what God gets. Have you ever been confused by the events of your life? This week I had a wonderful friend send me this picture. And when I saw it, I thought, hey, that actually reminds me of the Joseph story. Because sometimes in life we become aware that the hopes and dreams that we had are slowly eaten or dissolved away. And things don't always turn out the way that we want them to, but it doesn't mean that there is not a pattern underneath that God is working through. You see, my mum died about six years ago, and at the time, I really did actually get very angry at God. I said, God, why have you done this? That was my mum. She was really special to me. I didn't understand what he was doing. But you know what? Six years later, I can see that because my mum died, I now have an opportunity to dig deep into relationship with my dad. And I'm starting to know my dad in a way I never knew before because mum's not there. So God always has a way. And just because you can't see what he's doing doesn't mean that he's not working. It doesn't mean that he's not good. There was a theologian who's only just passed away recently at the age of 91 called J.I. Packer, and he said, God is a mystery, and he's bewilderingly inscrutable, which means you can't always understand him. Your suffering is never for nothing. God makes a promise to you, and he made it to Joseph as well. He says, I am with you. This is a repeated theme all throughout the Bible. If you look at Joseph's story, you can see God's hand in it. In fact, this verse, the Lord was with Joseph, is mentioned so many times in that narrative, it's worth checking it out and trying to find how many times it's written there. Do you ever question if God is with you? I think that's why it's a repeat theme in Scripture because we really, really need to get it into our heads. Maybe you're looking for assurance. How about this for assurance? In the words of Jesus himself, he says to you, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Just like he was with Joseph, he's also with you. See, sometimes I wonder whether maybe we put too much emphasis on our own story. Earlier this year in uni, I came across a beautiful quote by an author called John Eldridge, and he says this. 
we won't begin to understand our lives or what this so-called gospel or good news is that Christianity speaks of until we understand the story in which we have found ourselves. For when you were born, you were born into an epic that has already been underway for quite some time. It's a story of beauty and intimacy and adventure, a story of danger, a story of loss, a story of heroism and betrayal. What if God is the main character of our stories? What if it's not all only about us? What if it's about God's saving plan for each of us, for humanity? Perhaps we just need to learn to sit in the pages with God in his story and know that he is with us. See, in the Old Testament, there was this thing called the New Covenant where God promised that one day he was going to be with us. He was going to send his spirit to live within us. And that's why he can be with you always. God's story is still happening. God's story is still important. It's about his purposes, but you get to play your part, just like Joseph did. See, God is a way maker. He makes a way. Even if you can't see what he's doing, he's making a way. You know, even in this lockdown time, you might be thinking, God, what are you doing? Maybe he has a plan. Can I encourage you to think about that this week, that as you're in lockdown, you might be homeschooling your kids to know that God is with you. See, Joseph learnt that God's character is good and that his plan is good. Maybe that's the truth that you need to listen to this week, that he is with you. So I'm going to leave you with two challenges this week. One of them is to focus on forgiveness and the second is to focus on God's full picture. For the forgiveness one, I want to encourage you to spend some time this week just like I did in my art studio, but you might want to go out for a walk, one hour only. You might want to go out for a walk and speak to God and ask him, who do I need to forgive? Or you might sit in a chair with a rug and a hot chocolate and you might actually make a list of all the people that have hurt you and you might write next to their name what it is that they've done and release them. Take the rocks that are in your heart, give them to Jesus You'll be all the lighter for it in your heart. You might use the words, and if you've got a pen with you today, write this down because it can be really powerful. Jesus, I forgive, and then you put the name in there, for, and then you put what it is that they hurt you about. Spend some time releasing. Write it down. Share it with a friend. Ask God for help. Corrie ten Boom said that unforgiveness is like holding onto the rope of a church bell. And each time you think about it, you tug on that rope and the sound of the bell is clanging and it goes on and on and it resounds and you just can't escape the noise. But when you begin to make a change by choosing to forgive, over time you lose that grip. You lose the pain. You might not ever forget, but you lose the pain. You let go and the bell stops ringing. You get set free. Will you do that this week?
And in terms of God's full picture, will you just say this week with Joseph, the Lord was with me, God was with me, Jesus has made a way. You know his plan is good. In a moment, Matt's going to lead us in communion and then we're going to listen to a song called Waymaker. And during that time, I would really love it if you could just think about the act of forgiveness and just making one small step to move towards Jesus and to move towards handing over those things that are weighing you down. I hope you have a good week. God bless.